Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Welcome back. If you uh, didn't have the opportunity to be here with us last week, we began a three-week message series all about habit. Habit. And what we learned about is how the small things that we do each and every day, the small things that we do each and every day that we consistently do, week in, month in, year in, decade in, have a massive impact on the direction and the quality of our lives. And so we began last week, I gave you a definition of the word habit from Merriam-Webster, And uh, here's how uh, the dictionary defines the word habit. A habit is an acquired mode of behavior. Notice that. It's not an instinct. It's not something you're born with. It's an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. In other words, it's a behavior that somewhere along the line you and I learned, and it operates automatically in the background. Uh, last week, I used the example of a Rubik's Cube, and I showed you how through numerous uh, you know, hours and hours spent with a Rubik's Cube, eventually those movements become instinctual. You just kind of run them through without even thinking. Many of us have behaviors that we learn from our parents, and we don't even know we're doing it. We're just running these behaviors in the background. Some of us have, have learned behaviors at a young age or even as an adult that we're running in the background, and they're habits, and we don't even understand that they're there. In fact, One of the reasons why we're talking about habits at church is because of this fact that research has has shown that 40 to 45% of your daily behaviors, 40 to 45% of your daily choices, the things that you do with your time, the way, what you put in your mouth, the way you spend your money, the, the places you go, that those things that we do, those behaviors are actually driven by our habits. And we're not actually in control sometimes. And we think to ourselves, if life is a highway, I'm behind the wheel. And I'm taking my life where I want to go, but in reality, almost half of our decisions and half of our actions are being driven by these pre-programmed behaviors called habits running in the background. And so that's why we often have these great goals. We're like, I'm going there. I'm going to pay off all my debt, and I'm going to be a generous person, and and it doesn't happen. Or I'm going to be healthy, and and you're not healthy. Or, Or I'm going to have great relationships, and all your relationships are in turmoil, and you're like, Why is it that when I aim at this amazing goal that I know is right, why do I keep being sidelined? And what we learned about last week was that some of the reasons why we're being sidelined from our goals is because we have these patterns of behavior that we don't even recognize, and they're sabotaging our progress. And so that is why successful people and people who reach and obtain the goals that they've set out do consistently what other people do occasionally. So what we're talking about over these three weeks is is acknowledging our habits and beginning to see them transformed and aligned with what God would have for our lives, all right? And so uh, last week, what we did is we kind of ended the message, for those that weren't here, by by taking a time to reflect and just saying, God, is there one area that you want to put your finger on in my life? And the reason why we said one area, because we all have a dozen areas to work on, am I right? Nobody's nodding. Yeah, okay. I got a few honest people in the crowd. We all have a dozen areas to work on, but here's the problem. You can't work on them all at once. You need to pick one thing. And we said, hey, let's invite God into the process. God, what is the one area you would have me address in these upcoming weeks and months? And and what we asked God to do was to put his finger on one thing. For some of you in this room, it might be a financial thing. For others, it might be a, a spiritual discipline that you need to have in place. 
For others, it may be a relationship issue. You need to make that right. You need to fix that. Uh, for some of you, it may be your diet and exercise. So it's different for all of us, but we, we invited God to put his finger on the thing that we're to be working on and to bring it to him, and he'll strengthen us. And the last thing I did was gave you some homework. And so hopefully some of you did this homework, and the homework was simply this, to track it. Whatever that thing was that God put his finger on, and if you weren't here, you can do that right now. Chances are if you go, hey, what's the one thing? It just pops right up to your mind. But if you take that one thing, here's what I said to do last week, track it. So if it's a financial issue, you get a notepad, you write down where every penny gets spent. That's hard to do, but if you do it, all of a sudden, those behaviors you're not even thinking about become visible. If it's a diet issue, write down everything you put in that mouth. And it becomes visible. If it's a relationship issue, write down everything you're saying, the attitude you're saying it with, and guess what happens? The behavior that was running in the background that you couldn't see becomes visible to you. And once you see it, then you can begin to address it. So we need to identify our habits and systems. You may say to me, Nathan, I don't have a system for my finances. Yes, you do. Spending more than you make is actually a system. Buying things before you have the money for them and then paying for it later is actually a system. Not a good one, but it's a system. Yelling at your children to get them to do what you want. It works. It's a system. Not a good system because eventually, eventually they, they, their ears and their hearts become hard and it stops working. So there are better systems, but we just run these systems and maybe we learned them from our parents. Maybe we saw it displayed for us and thought, that's the way it's done. Complaining about your problems instead of addressing them is a system. It's a system of avoidance. Doing everything at the last minute under stress is a system. Some of you love this system. Here's why. Because the pressure and the stress of the last minute gives you the willingness to actually accomplish the thing you're supposed to accomplish instead of doing it ahead of time when you should have, and it works. And so we all have systems. It's just that when we stop and we begin to observe and track our systems, then we begin to see them, and then we can begin to change them. So what I want to do today is I want to start by sharing with you some of the science of habit formation, and then we're going to have some spiritual conversations around what drives us in our habits. So, so first, the content that I'm about to share with you is largely uh, drawn out of a book called The Power of Habit. And I got a little image of it for those, maybe some of you have read it, some of you have heard of it. Uh, this particular book was written by an author by the name of Charles Duhigg. And um, he set out with this book to study the science of habit and to explain how habits are formed and how they can be changed. And so this has been a super helpful book for me. I read it about three or four years ago. And, and the images and some of the things I'm going to share with you today uh, are very, very helpful when we begin to understand what's going on in our brains and in our bodies as habits are formed. And, and so what he, he talks about in the book is, here's a couple highlights, um, there's something called a habit loop, okay? There's a habit loop, and there are three parts to every habit. There is a cue or a trigger, and then the next thing is there's a routine or a behavior, so that's the thing you do. So when we think about habits... We think about the behavior, but we don't think about the other two parts. There's actually a cue or a trigger, and then there's the behavior that happens automatically, and then finally there is a reward. Simple example. If you're feeling sad, we all feel sad sometimes, but how we respond to sadness can be different. So sadness might be the trigger. The behavior might be to reach into the freezer and pull out a carton of ice cream. Nobody's ever done this. And you eat the ice cream, that's the behavior, and then after you've eaten the ice cream, guess what happens? There's a reward, and that's called your blood sugar spikes. 
and you feel good. Now, of course, we all know we're smart people. We all know that a few hours later, you don't feel good. You're like, oh, what did I do? Oh, there's the ice cream. And, and, and so we know that it was bad, and then we feel bad and sad, and then we reach for something else, right? And so it's a, it's a loop. And so there's a trigger, and then there's the behavior, and then there is the reward. So, so what's powerful about this is that if we understand there's a behavior I want to change, then we recognize that there's something triggering that behavior to run, and now we're tracking that behavior, and we go, oh, that's not what I want. I'm going to, instead of trying to say, you know what, no more ice cream. Anybody ever tried that? No more ice cream. That's the problem. That's the bad habit. No. What the author of the book suggests is that instead of saying no ice cream, you replace the behavior with something else. And you keep the cue and you keep the reward. So, for example, if you're sad, instead of reaching for a pint of ice cream, you call a friend and you talk about it. Or maybe you go for a 10-minute walk and you're walking and you're moving and the blood starts pumping and you get some positive endorphins and guess what? You feel better. So you have the same cue, sadness, and we all are going to feel sadness. And you get the same reward, you feel better. What you've done is change the behavior. And by changing that behavior to a positive one, over time, what happens? It begins to snowball and have exponential effects on the direction and quality of your life. Is that making sense? So we have the habit loop, cue, routine, reward. What's even more incredible about habits is what goes on inside your brain. So researchers at MIT did experiments with rats, okay? Check this out. We got a little rat in a maze. And here was the experiment. They put a rat, they make a clicking noise, and this little door opens, and then the rat proceeds to explore the maze, and the rat kind of wanders down the maze, sniffing the air, looking around, examining everything. It might have turned right, found it was a dead end. Eventually found its way to the corner of the maze where it finds a piece of chocolate. Yay! The rat eats the chocolate. This is wonderful. So the next day, they run the same routine or the same experiment with the same rat. And guess what happens? <laughs> After a while, the click happens, and guess what the rat does? Straight down, quick left, eats the chocolate. And of course, you're all going, well, that, that's obvious. We, we would all do that if we knew that there was chocolate right over there. We'd just head right over there as soon as church was done, right? The behavior was, was pretty, pretty predictable. But here's what's so incredible is that they ran this behavior, this, this test, over and over again. And what they discovered was, and this is so cool, they put little probes and sensors on the, the, the rat's head so they could sense brain activity, so they could measure the brain activity. So I've got a little chart of brain activity, uh, the next one after that. Uh, on the left, you're going to see the rat's brain activity the first time they ran this little course. And you can see the entire time the rat is going through the maze, his brain is kind of firing on all cylinders, doing all this crazy stuff. But after about 60 days of doing the same thing, look what happens on the right. The cue, click, the brain goes, ooh, chocolate. And then the brain kind of just shuts off. And that rat goes down the maze, turns left, and then the brain fires up again when it gets the chocolate. This is incredible because what it tells us is that God has so created us and our brains and our bodies so that when we do something consistently, consistently, consistently over and over again, instead of our brain wasting energy to think about what to do, it already knows what to do, so it actually drops that whole program, that, that mode of behavior. It drops it into the base of your brain called the basal ganglia, and you don't have to think about it. The trigger happens, and behavior starts. And this is true for all of us. Someone says something critical. That's a trigger. Rah! You rip a strip off them. That's a behavior you learned somewhere. And because you've done it so many times, it has just dropped in. So we're tracking it. We're observing it so that ultimately uh, we can change it. 
So a couple things um, I want to share with you is a, f- a few ways to form a new habit and how you can do this well. Here's the first thing I want to share with you. Make it easy, all right? Make it easy. Keys to forming a new habit. Make it easy. Um, here's what I mean by that. Start small. If you're like me, I'm thinking to myself, I need to get in shape. So what I would typically do, because I'm a go big or go home kind of guy, I'll run 10 kilometers and then lift weights and do deadlifts, and then I can't move for a week, and the whole thing just stops right there, right? I know none of you would do that. That's kind of my, my perspective. So my wife's always reminding me, go easy. Don't hurt yourself. Just keep doing it daily. And so if you want to get in shape, maybe the best thing to do would be to start with five minutes or 10 minutes a day. Just walk around your block and check it off day, day, day. Do it for a whole week. And then maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to do two laps around the block. Or I'm going to add five more minutes. And you just begin to build on those positive routines and habits, right? This is wise. I know people who said, you know what, I'm going to be spiritual this year. January 1, I'm reading through the Bible in a month. <laughs> Some of you have tried that. That's why you're laughing. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for an hour a day. Oh, really? You didn't pray all last year. And now you're going to pray an hour a day. Yeah, after six minutes, you, you run out of things to say and you give up. Right? How about starting by just, the first thing you do is instead of checking your cell phone, put your knees on the floor, talk to your Heavenly Father for a couple of minutes, and just offer Him yourself for that day. It might be two minutes, but if you do that two minutes every day for the next year, you won't even be able to get out of bed without doing it. You won't even think about it, just like, eh, you'll just roll out of bed onto your knees and start talking to your Father. That's a habit. It's a positive habit that's been Committed to long-term memory. So that's what we're after. So start small. Make it, make it easy. If, it, if it's finances, not like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to start giving 10% of my income and saving 30% in RRSPs for my kids. And, you know, no, start small. Something you can succeed at and keep building it. Add a percentage. Add $20. Add a little bit here and there. Formulate the habit. Make it easy so you can succeed and then build upon it. Is this helping anybody? All right, so you want to make it easy. Second thing, make it obvious. Make it obvious, okay? So if you're planning to eat healthy, <laughs> make a list before you go to the grocery store. Uh-huh. You start wandering those aisles, and you're like, ooh, those look good, and you're grabbing cookies and cakes. You, you, may, you may make a rule, hey, I'm only going to walk around the outside of the grocery store, because guess what? That's where all the real food is, Right? And so you're deciding in advance, here's what we're going to eat this week, and you go to the store with a list and a plan, and that is a way to make it obvious, right? Um, again, if you want to use your phone less, if you don't want to be on your phone late at night or looking at it first thing in the morning, put it somewhere else in the house to charge. There's this little invention they come up with about a thousand years ago called alarm clock, and they still sell them. It's amazing. You can have one of those in your room, so if you wake up at three in the morning, you don't start scrolling Instagram. You go back to sleep like a normal person. <laughs> if you want to go running in the morning, you know, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to go for a jog in the morning. Get your jogging pants and your sweatband and your water bottle. And put, yeah, people still wear sweat. They're coming back. <laughs> all right. And you put that and you put that stuff right beside your bed. So when you wake up and it's 630 and it's dark. You can't be like, honey, I can't find my pants. They're right there. Put them on and go for a run. So you want to make it easy, and you want to make it obvious so that you can succeed at, at establishing this new behavior that you've decided will help you to move forward. So as we continue this conversation habits, I've talked a little bit about the science. I hope that's helpful. As we continue the conversation, um, I want to look at 
a biblical character that to me exemplifies what it means to have the right kind of habits, habits that honor God. And his name is Daniel. And of course, if you grew up in church, then you know exactly who Daniel is. If you've never set foot in church before, this is your first time, even if you've never opened the Bible, you might have heard of Daniel because of this incredible story about Daniel and the lion's den, right? It's a famous, famous Sunday school story. I got a little image. Okay, here's Daniel. And of course, Daniel is accused of, of, of breaking a law, and his detractors have him thrown into a pit of lions where he has to stay for the night. And Daniel, I guess this is a bit of a uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> in case you haven't read the story, he survives. God delivers Daniel. And sometimes we see things like that and we go, I want to I have the faith of Daniel. I want God to do Daniel stuff in my life. But, but what I want us to understand today as we look at Daniel is that there were habits that were part of his life, God-honoring habits, that helped Daniel become the man that he would become. So before the lion's den, before this, and you can take that down, here's what Daniel chapter 6 says about the man Daniel. Daniel 6 verse 3, then Daniel became distinguished. He became distinguished above all other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Got a little image of Babylon, ancient Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. Now you'll see Israel is kind of in the center. Israel was the the nation of, of God's people. And that was the land that God had promised Abraham and his descendants. And of course, Daniel is a Jewish boy who, when Jerusalem and when Israel are overrun by the Babylonian armies, they literally did something wise. They, they took the youngest, bright princes and nobles, young, impressionable men, and they dragged them off to Babylon to indoctrinate them and help them become Babylonian so that they could then govern their own people. Right? This is brilliant. Brilliant. 2,500 years ago. Brilliant. And so, so Daniel, as a young man, is brought to Babylon, and he's trained in Babylonian ways, and we're going to talk about more of this next Sunday. But he learns all about these Babylonian ways, and over time, because of the habits, because of the way he honors God, because he chooses to do right consistently over and over again, Daniel rises through the ranks. And eventually, this massive empire, which you can see spreads over numerous countries today, this massive empire is run by a king, and then there are three presidents, of which Daniel is one, and then 120 governors. That's how the, the pyramid of authority went. So Daniel is at the very top, and it says that the king was about to make Daniel second in command. That's incredible. And you think to yourself, wow, Daniel must have been lucky. That's incredible. How did he end up there? Well, he must have had some great breaks. But what we discover if we read the first six chapters of the book of Daniel is we discover that there's always a backstory, right? I want you to just turn, find somebody near you, and just tell them there's always a backstory. Tell them with authority. Because there is. There's always a backstory. Uh, I grew up in church, and people, for as long as I um, can remember, have been looking for shortcuts in this book. And they open up the Bible and they're like, there's got to be a shortcut to having good kids. Where is it? It's in Proverbs somewhere, right? There's got to be there's got to be some verse that'll help me to get over this addiction. There's got to be something that'll help me to become a millionaire in six months. There's got to be a secret, a formula somewhere. And so we dig through the Bible looking for these things that will help us to achieve these incredible results in a short time. But there's always a backstory. When you read through this book from front to back, here's what I'm going to tell you: um, it teaches that there's always a backstory. And that backstory will include things like, first and foremost, honor God. 
and you honor God and you do it for years and then decades, it changes things. It, it'll teach you to, to do right, to treat others right, to, to work hard. There's a whole theology in this book about working hard. Hard work is a part of what we're called to as Christians, as people who follow Jesus. Serving others, being humble. You're like, those don't sound like shortcuts, Pastor. I know, but they work. And the thing is, you may not see the results immediately, but if you apply them day by day, month by month, year by year, God honors it and rewards it. There is always a backstory. Sometimes we look at successful people. We look at somebody and go, what a godly man. Must have been born that way. No, there's a backstory, right? Oh, look at those parents. They're so amazing, and their kids are turning out amazing. I want my family to look like that. I want my kids to be like that. What's the secret? And they'll be like, well, honor God, work hard, be humble, serve others. You're like, no, give me the secret. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Like, that's, we're trying to, to do this. There's a backstory to everything. You see somebody who's a millionaire, and you think, oh, you must have got lucky. I'll tell you something. Um, people who are successful in an area very rarely are lucky. Usually, they've got systems and disciplines and habits in place that have gotten them where they are. Now, granted, you can do all the wrong things and score once in a while, right? You can do all the wrong things and have success once in a while. But if you continue to do all the wrong things, that success will quickly disappear and you'll end in failure. And you can do the right thing and fail. Anybody? (laughs) You do the right thing and it doesn't turn out the way you expect. But if you continue to do the right thing, eventually that failure will turn back into success. And so this is why you and I have to be super careful about how we judge. Because we always want to judge, we always want to judge the success or failures of others. We want to judge based on what we see, but God looks at the heart. God looks past it. Because there's always a backstory. This is why, again, we need to be careful how we judge other people, because if we don't know their backstory, we'll misjudge them. You might look at somebody and go, well, wow, they're a three out of ten in their spiritual growth. That's miserable. But what you don't know is the backstory is a year ago they were a one out of ten. And they're like heading in this direction. And you look at somebody else and you think, oh, they're an eight out of ten, super spiritual. And what you don't know is a year ago they were a nine out of ten and they're actually heading in the wrong direction. Which is better? I've said often God cares less about where you are and more about which direction you are facing and heading. And so we want to know the backstory. This is, why, this is why we do relationships so we can hear someone's backstory and encourage them in the journey they're in. So there's always a backstory. As we continue, we're going to discover this week and next that there is definitely a backstory with Daniel. Here's, here's what we discover. Um, Daniel is about to be promoted to second in charge. All the other governors and presidents are not happy about it. And when you do the right thing, people will not be happy about it. When you do the right thing and you're about to be rewarded for it, they will try to pull you down like crabs in a bucket. And that's exactly what happens. And so they decide that they're going to entrap Daniel and have him killed. The problem is, is they examine his life and find that he's blameless. He honors his boss, the king. Even though his king may not even be a godly king, he honors his boss. He does the right things. He follows the rules. And they're like, we can't find anything on this guy. And then they realize the only way we're going to find fault with Daniel is concerning his God and his faith. Because they knew that there were some things in Daniel's life that he would never, he would never back away from, and it was his faith in his God. Next week, we're going to talk about that. Are there things in your life that you've already decided you won't do? Because the things that you decide in advance you won't do actually have just as big an impact as the things you decide you will do. 
That's where we're going next week. All right? And so Daniel was willing to serve his king, but he wasn't willing to walk away from his God. And so here's what they do. They go to the king and they say, hey, let's pass a law that says nobody can pray to any God except for you, the king. And if they do that, if they break that law, they get thrown in a lion's den. And he goes, oh, I like that. People praying to me instead of their gods? I like that. He signs the document. And here's what it says about Daniel's response. Daniel 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, all right, he knew this law had been passed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. That's where the temple of God would have been. It would have been destroyed. That's where his home city was. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. Now, he wasn't doing this to, to reject the king's authority. It says he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel had a habit in place in his life to pray three times a day facing Jerusalem on his knees, thanking God that God would one day bring his people back. And he's there on his knees day by day by day. And here's the reason why Daniel wouldn't quit praying because the law was passed. Because his prayer life and his disciplines to honor God had got him to the place he was. Why would he give that up, even at threat of his own life? And so you see this habit, you see this discipline that honors God in his life, and he continues to do it. And of course, because of that, he's going to be caught and thrown into jail. Now, you may think to yourself, I want to be like Daniel. I want to have the strength to face lions, to, to kneel down and pray, even when my life's in danger. But there's a backstory. Did you know that at the time that this happens... Daniel is likely 80 years old. 80. He had already served at least three different kings and kingdoms. Kingdoms come and go and Daniel stays. And after 60 years of being a teenager and saying, I will not dishonor God and doing the right thing and praying for 60 years, he now has the faith to stare a hungry lion in the face. There's always a backstory, right? Right? And so um, I believe that the success of Daniel, and this is kind of where I want to shift gears as we begin to close. The secret to Daniel's success can be certainly traced back to his God-honoring habits, but even more than that, his habits can be traced back to his identity, his identity. Daniel knew that he was a child of God. He knew that he was a son of Abraham, and because of that, it informed his behavior and his habits in the first place. If you ask somebody, who are you, what are you going to say to me? I don't know. If I asked you, who are you? And we sat and talked, and you might tell me your role. You might say, oh, I'm a lawyer. I'm a teacher. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a grandmother. And that would all be true. That's your role. You might say something about your origin. You know, I'm Irish. I'm South African. I'm adopted. I'm an only child. Like, you'd tell me something about your origin story to tell me who you are. Or maybe you would tell me something about your beliefs. I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm an atheist, I'm a vegetarian, and you, this is who I am, right? And you define yourself by your beliefs or your passion. I love baseball or hockey or, or art or music. So you're telling me all these types of things because here's the thing about identity. Our identity is usually a mixture of a whole bunch of things. And sometimes those are all positive things, but sometimes there can be negative beliefs about yourself that form your identity, so people often think of themselves as a failure, and it's, and it's woven into who they believe they are. They'll think of themselves, I'm not creative. People use that all the time. Like, I'm not creative. It's like, or I'm an introvert. Why is it that people always talk about introversion as a negative thing? 
and extroversion is a positive, right? Introverts are great. All the introverts in the house said, oh, yeah. That's about what I expected to happen right there. Uh, <laughs> all the extroverts in the house said, oh, yeah. Yeah, see? And so we think, I, one of these days I want to do a sermon on redeeming introverts. You know? Because it's not a negative thing. Like, extroverts, they touch 100 people in small ways. Introverts, they go super deep with two or three people. Life-changing stuff. And we need them both, don't we? That's why, like, half of us are extroverts and half of us are quiet introverts who say nothing in church. Right? So we want to redeem that. So we think of it, I'm introverted, therefore I can't. Uh. Right? It, we, it's a part of a negative identity, so we need to redeem that, of course. Some say, well, I can't fix it, I can't change it, I'm just an addict. Well, that's an identity statement. Right? That's an identity statement. I'm not good at math. I'm lazy. So we come up with all these, these identities that we point to and we go, that's part of who I am. And the reason why it's important to talk about identity is because identity shapes behavior. You will behave the way a person like you should behave. Your identity will shape the way you behave and the way you act and the habits that you put in place. And the truth is, when I was in high school, I remember as a high school student, back then everyone smoked. And now they're vaping. I don't know. Back then, it seemed like half the school smoked, and after school, like, there would be this crowd. It was like the whole school was out on the road with cigarettes. And one of my friends offered me a cigarette, like, here, have a smoke. I'm like, no, thanks. And they're like, have a smoke. And I took one, and I go, oh, this smells bad. It tastes bad. It's gross. Why would anybody do this? But I was still tempted to do it and to keep doing it. I didn't, but I was tempted. And as I think, reflect back on it, why was it that that thing that was really kind of nasty for me was tempting? And the reason why is because... It was tempting not because I, I wanted to do it. It was tempting because that's what other people were doing and I wanted to fit in. It was an identity issue. And I see young kids, 13, 14, they have to have the girlfriend or the boyfriend. It's like, you're not looking for your soulmate. <laughs> you're not looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right. You want to belong. You want to feel special and loved and important. It's identity. You're searching for identity, by the way, in the wrong place. In the wrong place. And adults do it too. We look for positions of power. We've got to have a boat, a cottage. We have to have recognition in these areas. And it's, it's not really about those things. It's about our identity. And so settling this issue of identity is huge. Because our identity will actually fuel and inspire our behavior. So, so we need to think about that. And honestly, people wrongly assume, they wrongly assume that the goal of Christianity, like what this book teaches, is behavior modification. They wrongly think that uh, Christianity is all about learning about the rules and doing and living a certain way. That's not the point of Christianity. Jesus didn't come to change your behavior. He came to change your heart. He came to give you and me a new identity. And the truth is, is that if we think we can do enough good things that God will smile on us, it doesn't work like that. That's what pretty much most of the religions of the world teach. What the Bible teaches, what the gospel teaches, is that while we were still sinners... While we were failures, while we were breaking his laws, while we were missing the mark, Christ died for us. That God stepped out of heaven and paid the price that we couldn't pay and loved us when we were unlovable. And here's what John, Jesus' disciple, says in John 1.12. He says, to all who did receive him and believed in his name. If you're here today and you've never received Christ and you've never believed in his name, do it today. Turn your heart to him. Look what he says next. To those who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You're born into a new family, new identity. He continues, who were born, just like you were born into this world, into a family, 
You and I are born into God's family. He says, not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man. It's not something we do, something God does in his grace, but of God. That's a new identity. Jesus didn't come so we would act right. He came so we would be right. And if we are right, and if we are his children, then we behave like his children. He didn't come so we would behave better. He came so we would have new life. He came so we would have his spirit in us that would fuel us to do the right things. And Christians don't do good things because we have to. We do good things because we want to. Because that's what our Heavenly Father does. We don't forgive because we have to. We forgive because our Father forgave us and we are so moved and impacted by it that we extend forgiveness to people that have hurt us. You see? We're imitating our Father. It's not a have to, it's a want to. But we still have to work. This is why we're talking about habits. Even though we want to do the right things, Romans 6 and 7, you read it. We want to do the right things, but I find myself doing the wrong thing. Here's why. We haven't retrained our mind. We haven't adopted behaviors that honor God. And so that's why we're talking about habits. So identity shapes behavior. Here's where I want to close. Today, I want to invite you to make a different kind of goal. Because usually what we do, if you're like me, we make do goals. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to take my wife on a date every week. And we set these goals, like this is what I'm going to do. But instead, I want to encourage you today to make a who goal, right, which is entirely different. So instead of saying, here's what I'm going to do, you're to say, here's who God wants me to become. And we've got these little cards that are at the little table as you go out the doors. If you want to grab one of these, little card, it says habits, a little statement, and there's a place for you to write your who goal. So... Instead of saying, I'm going to take my wife on a date every week, which might be a good system, I'm going to say, my who goal is to be a godly husband and father. And, and you fill that out, and you say, that's who I want to be. That's who God wants me to be. That's who I'm called to be. I don't, put that on your mirror in your bathroom. Put it in your car, somewhere you'll see it every day. Because if we don't remember who we are, we won't remember what we're supposed to do. And if you know who you are, then you'll know exactly what you're supposed to do. And what I've discovered over years and years of trying to follow Jesus to the best of my ability is I've discovered that often (laughs) I forget who I am. I forget that I'm God's loved son. I forget that I'm forgiven. And so because of that, I I start to, to move in the wrong direction and we need to be reminded of who we are. Because otherwise, we're just trying to change our behavior. But in reality, God has changed our identity. And out of our identity flows a new behavior. And I've recognized this too, that over the years, you know, um, the, the Bible describes the devil. And everyone thinks of the devil in different ways. But definitively defines the devil as a deceiver and an accuser. So let me tell you how Satan will work. God says, you're my child. You're loved. You're forgiven. Do right. Honor God. And, and so you start moving in that direction, but you will fail, just like I will fail, and we, we mess up along the way. That's true of all of us. And what Satan will do is he will point at your failure, and he'll point at my failure, and here's what he'll say to you. He will say, look at your behavior. You're a failure. You're unloved. You don't deserve. And he'll point at your behavior and try to tell you who you are. You're not worthy. You're unable. You will always be fill in the blank. He points and accuses and deceives. We need to remember who we are. Instead of looking at our behavior to figure out 
what our identity is. Instead, I'm inviting you to ask, who has God said that I am? Who does God want me to be? I'm gonna look at that, I'm gonna remind myself of that, and I'm gonna let who I am inform what I do. Does that make sense? Let's pray together. Father, um, today, we bring our lives to you, we bring our hearts to you. Lord, my goal is, is not that we would just lose a few pounds and be better with our money, although that's important, God. My, my goal and aim is that each of us would be just arrested with the love and mercy that you've shown us, that, that God, because of who you have made us, sons and daughters of the living God, forgiven, loved, holy, righteous, chosen, that because of who we are, Lord, that our behavior and our habits would begin to fall into line with the identity that you have given us. Lord, help us to understand today who you have called us to be and to live in accordance with it by your power. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.